call racial affinity groups what they are, segregation. A new faculty-led organization at Harvard will defend academic freedom. And should college come with trigger warnings? At Cornell, it's a hard no. Welcome to Fair News Weekly. To read all of the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit this podcast's episode description. Dear friends of FAIR, this week FAIR submitted a federal civil rights complaint filed in accordance with the United States Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. The complaint was brought against Pathfinder K-8 School in Seattle, Washington. Pathfinder leadership has implemented several programs that separate students and other community members based on race or skin color in violation of federal law. Specifically, the school has offered several opportunities that are racially exclusionary or separate individuals based on race. FAIR's efforts to engage Pathfinder in constructive dialogue to ensure they are in compliance with federal civil rights protections were not responded to, despite multiple attempts. As much as FAIR desires to work alongside Pathfinder to engender a pro-human approach to their anti-racism efforts, we will not stand by and allow a public school or any other public entity to blatantly engage in discrimination without consequence. FAIR filed its complaint on April 11, 2023. We look forward to the response from the Office for Civil Rights, and we are hopeful that they will do the right thing. Warmly, the team at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. For FAIR Substack, Joseph Jake Klein wrote about the problematic rise in segregationist practices in the form of racial affinity groups. He writes, Advocates of racial affinity groups claim they are not racist or segregationist, but do so while practicing racial segregation and making explicitly racist claims. For example, Trust Leadership, a so-called racial equity consulting group that works with numerous school districts, declares that racial affinity groups are not racist or segregationist but also says they are a place where white people can reckon with their whiteness and non-white people can take care of themselves and one another in the absence of whiteness. Fair ally Yi Zhang Pogue has written beautifully for this substack on how affinity groups in schools can harm our society by needlessly pitting people against each other along racial lines. What advocates for affinity groups often ignore is how prejudice and discrimination is often caused by diminished contact between groups and can be overcome by increasing that contact and having group members work cooperatively instead of separately. One of psychologist Gordon Allport's four conditions for reducing racial prejudice. This insight into the power of contact is the same idea that has driven fair senior fellow Daryl Davis's pioneering efforts to get Klan members and neo-Nazis to give up their lives of hate. For Fair Substack, originally published in Real Clear Politics, Buck Angel wrote about why forcing kids to observe Day of Silence is wrong. Angel writes, So, when I see a program like The Day of Silence is being promoted in schools, my first thought is, wow, awesome idea! I think it can bring awareness to all kids that LGBTQ people exist and that there might even be one or two in your class. I think of how kids will learn to accept and even embrace others for their differences. But I also believe in free speech and free thought. If, for whatever reason, some kids do not want to participate, they should be able to comfortably make that choice. Instead, 
what is often happening is that kids are being pressured into participating by their peers and their school. The Day of Silence consists of kids being told to wear all black and stay silent throughout the school day. It's easy to see how many kids who choose not to participate will stand out. For the New York Times, Fair Advisor John McWhorter wrote about the evolution of American humor. He states, But in our times, an even subtler kind of counter-expectation infuses much of American humor. This is the idea that people who haven't gotten the memo on our advances in social relations are the unexpected element, and that they are to be ridiculed. An example would be Peter Griffin, the paterfamilias of the animated comedy Family Guy. The show's general ethos is one in open sexism, homophobia, and numbness to violence. All characteristics frequently manifested by Peter are treated as barbarisms to feel superior to. I think this kind of humor requiring a layered approach to what is being proposed as humor 3.0, compared to the humor 2.0 of the chicken joke and the 1.0 of the one about lemonade. However, there are more than a few people who are disciplined to adopt the 3.0 model of humor. To them, even laughing at the person who has gotten the memo means you still have not gotten the memo. Family Guy, to me, is a joy. I've seen every episode. Yet, I was once surprised to hear someone describe it as off-puttingly homophobic. I hadn't thought of it that way. For the Boston Globe... Fair Advisor Steven Pinker and Bertha Madras wrote about the new Council on Academic Freedom at Harvard. They write, The embattled ideal of academic freedom is not just a matter of the individual rights of professors and students. It's baked into the mission of a university, which is to seek and share the truth. Veritas, as our university Harvard, boasts on its seal. The reason that a truth-seeking institution must sanctify free expression is straightforward. No one is invaluable or omniscient. Mortal humans begin in ignorance of everything and are saddled with cognitive biases that make the search for knowledge arduous. These include overconfidence in their own rectitude, a preference for confirmatory or disconfirmatory evidence, and a drive to prove that their own alliance is smarter and nobler than their rivals. The only way that our species has managed to learn and progress is by a process of conjecture and refutation. Some people venture ideas, others probe whether they are sound, and in the long run, the better ideas prevail. For the New York Times, Catherine Rosman wrote about an incident that occurred at Cornell and the subsequent victory for free speech on campus. She states, After decades of university battles over tinderbox issues of students' rights, speech codes, and how to best grapple with unpopular speakers and ideas— Proponents of free speech are lauding Miss Pollock's quick and unequivocal action. They characterize it as a part of a larger national shift marked by university leadership more forcefully pushing back against efforts to shut down speakers and topics that might offend. What was unique about the Cornell situation is they rapidly turned in a response that was a hard no, said Alex Morey, the director of campus rights advocacy for the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, a nonpartisan organization focused on issues of free speech. There was no level of kowtowing. It was a very firm defense of what it means to get an education. There is no free speech crisis on campus, the trial of Amy Wax. In this new documentary series by Rob Montz, Fair advisor Glenn Lowry shares his thoughts on controversial Penn Law professor Amy Wax. 
Come along with us to some of the most prestigious colleges in America. We've come to campus to bury forever a popular culture warrior talking point. There's no college free speech crisis. Crisis requires conflict. It requires warring parties. And on campus today, the war is over. The dissidents lost, and the monoculture is the new normal. Our first episode features the case of Amy Wax. Professor Wax is on the brink of having her tenure broken and job dissolved for the offense of expressing controversial political opinions. Watch it now on YouTube with the link in the description. Today, you can connect with other pro-human educators through the Fair Educators Alliance. We bring together educators from all levels to share experiences and work on developing resources that can support teachers, community members, and fair chapters. The Fair Educators Alliance hosts an informal, virtual happy hour every other Thursday evening with occasional speakers and presentations. FAIR also offers a K-12 Administrators Alliance, which holds meetings on the last Thursday of each month at 1 p.m. Eastern, and a group for librarians and library staff that meet on the third Tuesday of each month at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Teachers, administrators, librarians, and educators of all kinds are welcome. For more information or to join any of these networks, please email educators at fairforall.org. We want the FAIR Substack to be the go-to publication for diverse perspectives on culture and civil rights. Whether you're a seasoned author or an amateur writer with a story that can contribute to our mission of promoting fairness, understanding, and humanity, we would love to receive your stories, opinions, investigations, reviews, interviews, and more. Please send your piece to submissions at fairforall.org. We hope to hear from you. Finally, if you liked this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a rating and review. Make sure to check out our newsletter and weekly roundup to read more into any of this week's stories or visit the episode description. Donations are always welcome at fairforall.org donate.